Welcome to Speak Sex. I am your host, Steve Eurydice, and today uh, we are going to speak to two uh, young uh, folk I know, um, Chloe and Jesse. Chloe is a PhD student in sociology and women and gender studies uh, at Yale University. Um, and she goes with, by the pronoun she, her, and Jessie, who is her partner, uh, is a PhD student in English and Women and Gender Studies at UC Berkeley, and they go by the pronoun they, them. Um, so welcome to the podcast. Uh, the reason I really wanted to uh, speak to you um, it, it has been that, you know, you're you're studying, reading about, uh, you know, where women's uh, issues are at the moment. And one of the reasons for this podcast, for the existence of the podcast, was this, you know, it's just kind of put it out there so people around the world and really till the end of time, <laughs> um, you know, can access these this, uh, conversations both in the present and in the future when, we, you know, Somehow we become part of, of the history. Um, so I feel that um, part of what interests me um, is that we are in the process of opening up and changing the language. So I would like, you know, to speak with you about that. Um, what I, re I personally love about the present moment and about the contribution you know, of your generation so far um, is exactly that. Um, I feel that you know, language is a point of view, right? So um, we, we don't think of it that way. We, we think that language is just uh, the, you know, like the objective way of saying something, um, but it, in fact, it's a subjective choice that has been handed down to us by those who educated us, you know, right? So when we learned to speak at the age of like two or three or four, we were told what things mean and how to see them. And that's a point of view. Um, so for example, you know, like a simple way for me to explain this um, is that the moon is always full, right? But, but where we are and how we see it, it, of course, it's not, right? The sun is always out, but not twice. So I feel like language is exactly that. It's the, our point of view. It's how we see the moon or the sun. Or, um, and once that's kind of like clear to everyone, I think that our relationship with language will be less, um, um, you know, rigid, more, more creative, and that's in my understanding of it one of the of the ways to get out of the stranglehold of you know the patriarchy of, of the dominant culture that we have all been conditioned in. So, for example, you know, uh, going by they them to to me is a very simple you know way of taking charge of that. You know, I'm not. I'm not just an I, I'm not one, you know, I am a multiplicity, right? So anyway, so that's one, one uh, topic that I wanted to hear your opinions on, you know, kind of like 
how we're updating the language of sex and gender um, and our place, its place in the culture. Um, and then I would like to hear more generally your, you know, point of view of, um, you know, where, uh, let's say, the, 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 the dominant uh, feminism, uh, which is, you know, in part uh, the Me Too movement and in part let's say the movement to elect uh, women uh, or, or female identifying uh, representatives and officials, um, where that movement is now, you know, in 2020. Great. <laughs> yeah, well, lots of really big questions. <laughs> um, and do you... Do you want to start? We um, could do feminism first and then language. I feel like you're way better with the language stuff. So maybe feminism first and then. Sure. Sure. Um, so uh, thank you for your uh, questions, Eve. Um, it's very exciting to get to talk to you uh, about these kinds of topics. And Jesse and I were, um, we planned a little bit of what we want to say, but um, I'm also glad to hear you have all these questions about um, uh, language and um, the way that we speak about pronouns. But first, I'm going to talk a little bit uh, about uh, the idea of like where this like uh, where the the dominant theory of feminism is going um, and what I see for a future in feminism. Um, and so I think one of the first things I want to say that uh, to some people may be very obvious and to others is not so obvious. It wasn't obvious to me until I started college, um, but that uh, there are a lot of different kinds of feminism uh, in the world right now um, and have always historically existed. So there is no like one um, feminist theory, even though a lot of different types of political projects and theoretical perspectives, uh, like you were saying with language, um, go under the, uh, the signifier of the word feminism. Um, so one of the things that I wanted to talk about in terms of different branches and different types of feminism um, and where we're going like today, or at least where I see like young people turning their focus um, and what I see to be like a more progressive agenda for feminism. Uh, I first want to talk about um, this like concept of patriarchy, which for a long time was a word and a perspective that really revitalized me as like a young, young person coming into feminism, especially um, mm -hmm. I think growing up in Miami, wow. I, uh, I, uh, I just had never heard of feminism until I went to college and I read a bunch <laughs> of, um, truly, I had never heard of it. Uh, <laughs> and I went to college. Um, That's so funny. I'm sorry. I know. It's really funny. Uh, and I um, like uh, started reading a bunch of like early feminist works and became really uh, enamored by the idea of patriarchy. But as I have um, dug deeper into, excuse me, um, as I have dug deeper into um, like feminist theory and my own studies of feminism, I think that I have begun to see a lot of flaws in what, a lot of flaws in what I see to be issues with the concept of patriarchy um, and how I see feminism today moving beyond this uh, structure of patriarchy as the dominant framework of uh, political progress. So one of the big uh, challenges I think to this concept of patriarchy is that it splits the world into two groups, uh, men and women. Um, and it assumes in the model and of splitting the world into two groups of men and women, we see all women as being oppressed by all men. Um, and one of the issues with um, this perspective for feminism is that it tends to 
uh, render all women to the same category and generally uh, tends to erase uh, major differences between them. Um, and what I think that has happened is that this um, patriarchal perspective renders women to a category of sameness, which means that um, those who have political, economic, and uh, social power tend to rise to the top of the group and speak on behalf of all women. Um, and usually these tend to be uh, white women who have some kind of like economic and social power. Um, and a lot of the time, the result of this has been a repeated effort by white women to speak on behalf of all women, largely um, marginalizing the interests of uh, women who are more at the margins of society, including poor women, women of color, and women with disabilities. Um, so there have been like a variety of different moments in um, the history of feminism and history of like women's liberation movements in which uh, this phenomenon in which white women have attempted to speak on behalf of all women, oftentimes um, trying to separate themselves uh, from uh, people of color, including men of color and women of color, um, as a way to gain political power in order to align themselves with white men, um, oftentimes very explicitly saying like the goal of feminism is to be at the same level of white men. Um, there are certain like political projects that I think exemplify this the moment, the most, for example, um, something like focusing on the wage gap. Well, of course, <laughs> the wage gap is technically bad. Um, it puts a lot of emphasis on trying to make sure that, uh, like, for example, white women are making the same amount of money as uh, white men, which is not necessarily um, uh, focusing on groups of women who are most marginalized, uh, which I think yeah, is... Yeah, I completely agree, yeah. Yeah, um, so I think uh, when we uh, begin to, like, challenge what I think is, like, one of the dominant paradigms of feminism today being this, like, idea of patriarchy, uh, the question might be, like, okay, uh, so what's next? Like, how do... If feminism is fractured, if there's a bunch of different theories of feminism, if a lot of them... Um, come from different perspectives and not all of them are explicitly anti-racist or explicitly um, class conscious. Um, what are the uh, progressive developments in feminism that um, young people are finding really exciting if it's not something like a patriarchal structure, especially given like the things that I identified um, as being the most disappointing to me about the patriarchal framework being that it doesn't really account for like intersections of like race and class um, and ability. So uh, what I wanted to plug uh, in terms of like where I think feminism going today really is a focus on what is called abolition feminism. Um, and I see this, uh, abolition feminism has been along for a very long time, um, but I see young people getting really excited about it. Um, and abolition feminism, feminism is um, most famously, uh, uh, Angela Davis most famously advocates for abolition feminism. Uh, and it's uh, a Marxist feminist movement that is explicitly anti-capitalist, anti-racist, um, anti-prison, anti-police, uh, which I think is um, a lot of those issues. Uh, I think a lot of people are like, how are those uh, feminist issues and why are those women's issues? Um, and uh, what abolition feminism would say is that in order to have an analysis of gender violence that um, looks at the way that gender violence really impacts women um, differently, different kinds of women differently, and looks at all of the ways that women are impacted differently, uh, you need to look, you need to find uh, a systemic analysis of um, gendered violence and gendered oppression. Uh, and when you look at a systemic analysis of gender violence and gender oppression, what you're going to find is that uh, uh, this, um, this 
gendered violence is uh, rooted in uh, racial structures and deeply tied to racism and a history of racism and racial uh, oppression in the United States. Um, and some of the biggest um, structures of uh, that racial oppression and uh, in turn that gendered violence are things like um, the police, the incarceration system, and um, a capitalist economic uh, system. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you for, for that uh, clarification. I think that that name, you know, abolition feminism, makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I hope it does to our listeners. But, um, you know, I, I, uh, I do want to add that basically modern feminism, feminism as we know it, you know, has traditionally come right after civil rights movements. And it was through their understanding of, of civil rights that women, you know, thought that like our turn sh should also be here, you know. So I feel like in America at least, you know, it was the movement for the abolition of slavery that inspired women who were, you know, helping um, uh, that that movement to also consider, you know, wanting to become uh, human beings with rights themselves, <laughs> um, to even kind of like think of themselves that way, to conceive it, right? So in a way, it was, you know, by 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 helping men who had been, um, you know, oppressed and marginalized in the same way that women were oppressed and marginalized uh, by being stuck in a category that was easy, right? It was, e you know, optically, <laughs> optically easy. So, uh, you know, but it was basically the same hierarchy. You know, I feel that, you know, the hierarchy that began with the need of like the male to to own um, and control the womb and its and, and its products, you know, the female body, the fertile female body and its products, that that same need kind of, um, you know, that need originally created the system of hierarchy where, you know, the male, or at least the patriarch, the strong male, <laughs> the macho male, right, uh, could own, control, possess uh, the, the woman who had uh, his children uh, in order to control um, the genetic line. And, and um, from that, you know, the organization of the social system in hierarchical ways basically began, and then it was easy to replicate uh, and, you know, use and take advantage of other, you know, uh, Cat, you know, categorize of other like human categories, right? So whether it was children, you know, where children were like sold, uh, whether it was for labor or for marriage or whatever, you know, or, or whether it was, you know, people uh, of, of th that had some distinct otherness, so they could not be confused with like the, the, the patriarch, <laughs> the special, you know, the, the, the special uh, kind of like, uh, dominant uh, male, um, uh, I feel that it was that system that, uh, you know, recreated itself endlessly, and it still does. So whatever and wherever we may be, we're in places, in relations, in power relations of, like, hierarchy. You know, it's really hard to stay, you know, in relations of, like, equal exchange, um, because we have been trained to think... Um, in, 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 you know, the binary ways of, of hierarchical systems. Um, so, yeah, I feel that, you know, uh, 
you know, feminism kind of like gains uh, from its allyship with these other civil rights uh, movements um, that are not gender based um, because, we, you know, we kind of like are experiencing the same types of like violence and oppression. And, um, um, you know, there is something that uh, I, I have, I, I feel strongly about, which is, you know, you, you, the, the, you know, came out of the civil rights movement that you cannot use the tools of the master to take down the master, right? So if you just speak in the same language, <laughs> you know, like wages, you know, if I become, you know, like if I become a CEO um, in my pantsuit, why don't I get, you know, as much money as the white CEO? Like, how many people are we talking about, right? It just seems like not at all an important issue compared to, you know, what's happening to like millions of, of oppressed people, including those of the female gender, you know, in America and worldwide. So, yeah, I think that that terminology is, is uh, powerful, uh, abolition feminism, and, it, and it, um, it, you know, it clarifies a lot. So thank you. Um, I just thought I might uh, might respond to um, some of these points that you're raising and that and that have come up in the conversation so far about um, uh, on the one hand the relationship between feminism and the civil rights movement, which uh, I'm certainly not an expert in, but I think um, uh, there's a lot to be said on that front, and uh, as well as um, uh, before getting to that, this this question about the nature of patriarchy and the relationship between um, uh, like female uh, reproductive um, capacities and uh, male possession and domination of women through, as a sort of uh, political economy or like a, a, an economics of, of um, sex, right? So this is, a, as, as you said, like um, in the 70s was uh, very much like a classic point in um radical feminist thinking um, that uh, that as and Simone de Beauvoir talks about this in the second sex and it's like that um, that the male oppression of uh, females or men's oppression of women is is uh, like the, the oldest oppression in the books like it's the it's the first one and it's kind of the most important one and we see it uh, you know in contemporary society and we see it in nature right so uh, I think it's uh, so part of the argument was that it's precisely through um, reproduction and through the different roles played in, in, in sexual reproduction that um, this discrepancy, um, this kind of oppression happens, right? Um, but uh, my own interest in this comes from kind of work that I do on, on uh, trans people in biology, I guess. And uh, there's a long history within the feminist movement of kind of contesting uh, this view of, of oppression, of women's oppression as being kind of uh, transhistorical or of uh, existing for all time and being something that's even exists in nature to overcome. We have to completely give up on, on nature and have nothing to do with nature in order to become kind of like free people, right? Um, so this, like, this is the idea that, um, that certain, um, that it, it got a lot of pushback, I guess, from, uh, certain angles um i don't could you could you just explain how do we give up on nature what do they what are they saying 
Yes. Okay. So I guess the idea is if, uh, if women's oppression is based on, uh, the role played in reproduction, then, uh, this would kind of pose a problem for feminism where, uh, women are biologically put in a position of, of oppression, right? So this is a, uh, so this is like a theoretical problem for feminism that happened in the seventies was, uh, you have on the one hand, um, sort of like technological futurist feminists who are like, well, then the solution is going to be, we have to kind of no longer reproduce with our bodies. We have to find oh my like, God, yeah. <laughs> getting away from this. If the body is the, the problem, but a lot of other um, feminists were much more committed to the idea of, um, of, uh, of challenging the idea that biology was uh, such an important part of uh, or played such a big role in women's oppression and that women's oppression might actually be better understood um, through other kinds of, uh, of uh, social and cultural organization, right? So a big part of this then is um, the, in the 70s and, and earlier is the, um, the fight against housework and against being uh, confined to being a housewife. Right. Um, uh, which rather than focusing really so much on, on, on biology, it was more about the kind of work and the kinds of exclusions from work, um, uh, that, it, that, uh, are forced upon women in a patriarchal society. Right. Um, so I guess, um, part of the interest in this direction, I mean, as, as the two of you have already brought up is on the one hand, it seems to produce the kind of liberal feminism that we're very used to seeing and that kind of, uh, especially um, in recent years seems to have run out of steam in some ways that, oh, you know, it's oh, sort yeah, of it totally run out of steam in the last election. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, where it's like, as if, you know, there's this, yeah, as, as has been said, like this idea that, oh, well, maybe if we just have like Hillary Clinton for president or like two billionaire women that somehow this is going to like, this is the thing that everyone is invested in and this is the most important thing for, for women everywhere. Um, so obviously this is one, this is one direction that it moved in. Uh, the other direction has been more to, uh, to question uh, who women are or what it means to have a women's movement, I think fundamentally, because the, uh, the the position of that housewife and of of uh, being like an unpaid worker is something that was racially determined as well. Especially um, in uh, my my background in reading this is more in kind of a British colonial context, but uh, in the U.S., um, obviously the experience of womanhood is uh, if we define it in terms of the kind of work that people do and the kind of work that people get paid for and the kinds of houses that people work in or doing housework in and stuff like this, then there's a uh, huge differences uh, in experience across uh, uh, racial lines. And I know Chloe can speak more to this, but um, so a big critique of the, the um, uh, well, what was called the wages for housework movement in the 1970s uh, came from uh, feminists of color, um, the Kambahi River Collective, Bell Hooks and Angela Davis, um, of course, um, who, point to the way in which this idea of, of womanhood as like being excluded from the workforce and uh, a, sp a specific kind of women's oppression was actually like very much coded as white women's oppression. A key criticism of the of, of feminism for, for over a hundred years, you know, since the 1890s even has been this kind of um, repeated way in which uh, the feminist movement by being kind of unmarked and, and universal and speaking for everyone, uh, continually uh, centers 
white women's experiences and frames them, and this is a good way of getting back to um, the question of the relationship between civil rights and feminism. Uh, the feminism very often uh, has historically become a, 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 you know, a white woman's feminism or become like a sort of, uh, like shouldn't, uh, you know, a kind of, a kind of uh, liberal girl boss feminism of like, um, and, and this is, so the key point that I, I would like to sort of make here, and it's uh, one that I've learned from Bell Hooks in uh, Anti-Woman, is uh, that often when, when the feminist movement and the movement for women's liberation is framed um, as a response to, uh, to the civil rights movement. Um, so, uh, okay, so in, in the civil rights movement, black people are moving for liberation. In the uh, women's rights movement, it's going to be women who are pushing for liberation. The immediate question is, well, what about black women, right? What are, what's the stake of black women in uh, the civil rights movement? And are black women included? in uh, the, the women's movement of the 1970s. And so um, what Bell Hooks draws attention to, um, which has been an enormous lesson for me, is the way in which um, the, a description of feminism that compares itself to the civil rights movement and says like, but that was for black people, this is for women, necessarily imagines itself not to have black people in it, for one thing. And, um, and secondarily, um, uh, defines itself has a tendency to define itself as uh, on on to as an effort to establish racial solidarity of white women with white men, right? Surely we should be in this group and be getting paid as much, given you know, like uh, on the basis of like shared whiteness, uh, and and has therefore kind of ha uh, often lost uh, lost interest in or left behind or or uh, even worked against the liberation of, of women of color, um, of migrant women, of poor women. And uh, um, yeah, so I think this is part of the, the, I guess to just tie this up, like I think the key, the reason that the interrogation of what it is to be a woman and who is uh, the sort of we that, that gets uh, talked about in the movement for women's rights, a key um reason to keep this under interrogation is precisely because uh, when we assume a transhistorical idea of man and woman, you know, from nature into the present, or when we uh, talk in the present just about, like, womanhood, it's not, uh, it's uh, often an exaggeration of one kind of experience at the exclusion of others, potentially. Um, yeah. So I think, yeah. Yeah, I, th I agree. I mean, I think that actually the, the you know, the changes that have happened, um, moving us um, away from nature uh, without judging them have helped us come to this place where we can imagine the patriarchy being obsolete. Um, you know, the fact that we have, uh, you know, trans men who can give birth, right? And we have, um, of course, you know, paternity tests, so you don't need to get married uh, to know who your kids are, you know, and uh, we have uh, all the options in birth uh, besides the, you know, the, the, the natural one, you know, in vitro or surrogacy or... or so I, I feel that, uh, and of course, you know, same-sex marriage, you know, um, uh, which, you know, speaks of some marriage equality that didn't exist in normative marriage. Mm -hmm. um, so I feel that, and you know, there are other, uh, 
there are other changes that have been happening, you know, really quickly that kind of have, a, you know, rendered moot the raison d'existence of what we call the patriarchy, right? Like there is no reason anymore. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and so, yeah, I, f I feel that that makes it even more uh, possible for us to identify in, in, you know, with each other in ways that are not, um, you know, like genital-based. So I, I think it, you know, it's just like kind of like a a a a, 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 a need for definitions and maybe coining words with new terms, um, you know, and for sure with all the um, expansion of of gender identification that we have now. You know, we're leaving behind this like male versus female. And also, again, you know, when we speak of the patriarchy, we must account for all the uh, males or genital, you know, biologically males throughout history, like throughout the 6,000 years, who were not at all patriarchs, right? Who were the second born or the third born or, you know, queer or, uh, you know, all the misfits. Um, who were equally, you know, oppressed and 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 denied, uh, you know, speech or mocked or shunned or you know, um, silenced. So I, yeah, I feel that it's kind of like um, it it is a it's it's a difficult issue because the majority, you know, the 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 audience out there, you know, the, the people who just live their lives and are not focused on this conversation but are somewhat aware of it in the back of their minds, um, understand it as, you know, I'm a guy and you're a girl and that's what feminism <laughs> means, you know. Right. <laughs> and, um, yeah. you know, now, like, uh, post Me Too, feminism is, like, you know, nasty, to quote our president. <laughs> Because, like, it gets to accuse me of, uh, you know, like, not getting consent. I don't even know what consent is. Like, you know, <laughs> right? So th there is, um, we got to get the, the majority to catch up and, and incorporate in, like, daily practice what mm -hmm. we're talking about, you know. Um, so part of my question as to where we're going What's the future? What's in, you know? What, where can we take this? Is involves this? You know, how do we get this accessibility? Um, where you know we we um, you know bring in to this conversation uh, the mass consciousness, right? The, the, mm -hmm. the consciousness of the people who um, haven't had the time and and the privilege, you know, to to study it and, and become more versed in it. Yeah, I mean, I just want to say really quickly, I guess, that, uh, I mean, as you say, the kind of, like, Trumps of the world and, and, and so many people uh, um, who are reacting against, like, the successes of the feminist and, uh, and uh, kind of gay rights movements and trans liberation movements um, and, and, uh, and ongoing civil rights efforts, um, that there's this constant effort towards definition, uh, that I think is really, is central. So as you're saying, like, there's a sort of simplicity of, like, a worldview that's like, 
you know, like that's a man, that's a woman, like that's just how it is. This is like an act of defining. And so um, I think it's important just because it seems simple. It, it's because there's a lot backing it, you know, like a lot of people have a lot invested in maintaining like these kinds of structures. So I think that it's important for us to uh, understand this as an ongoing act of definition and then uh, maybe to try to focus less on um, what uh, the right kind of, say, in, in the question of like a feminist politics, what the right kind of a woman is, whether it's like requires these kinds of behaviors, not having that kind of job, like so on and so forth, but rather more about how we can, um, how we can uh, remain committed to helping uh, women generally mm -hmm. and, and, and uh, to work towards a sort of uh, equality more generally, right? And this works through, I think, being open to challenging our own definitions of people and our own understandings of people. And that's something we can do every day in our interactions, I think, with others to, to be receptive to what that, that uh, other people might give us about themselves. Um, yeah, I, I also just wanted to add to that. Um, I think that's very well articulated, Jesse. Um, uh, but also that I think, like, for people who are interested in moving the conversation about feminism to what I consider to be the most progressive and eminently important political place, I think that um, it's about uh, what I see happening a lot with people who um, get a lot of their information um, uh, from people that they follow online is that, like we were talking about, there's like a lot of different perspectives about what feminism is. And I think it's very important to, for people to try their best to like craft their own personal um, agendas about feminism and about what we think is going to like help and support women the most. Um, and I think the most crucial issue uh, for what I think feminism should be is to align itself with helping the most marginalized people um, in the United States uh, and with and within like the feminist community. So I think by focusing on how to uh, how to identify uh, structural issues that are reproducing uh, gendered violence outside of intimate uh, individual responsibilities. So by moving uh, the analysis from uh, from individual to systematic. Uh, or to systemic, excuse me, um, especially in conversations with individual people. So it's like no longer about like, okay, who are we defining as a woman? What are the politics of man, girl, boy? And being like, well, actually, what's really important to me about feminism is talking about the ways that we can like, uh, the ways that we can support policies and political programs that are going to help the most women today right now. Um, I think that we can make huge strides in like political organizing and pushing forward uh, a positive and progressive agenda. This isn't to say that like the politics and naming um, and identity and individualism aren't important, but I think that so often conversations about what the stakes are of feminism get um, stuck in those kinds of conversations and they get very like individual and personal and they become about like who we are as like different types of people. And I'm actually not interested in those kinds of definitions when it comes to feminism as like, a political program. I'm interested in how we can um, commit ourselves to political movements that are anti-racist, anti-prison, anti-capitalist, and that are focused on abolishing the prison system and police because I, and, and by bringing economic justice to as many women as possible, because I know that those things will <laughs> improve the lives of women way more than debating whether there's like a bi like XYZ like uh, 
man, woman, like Trump politics with somebody um, in terms of like what I think is like the most important issues of feminism today. What, what do you, do you have anything to add to that? Um, no, I mean, I think that's right. I think that, um, I think that a lot of the time, like uh, the, the ideas about, um, about like gendered identity that we take for granted uh, can hide our involvement in other kinds of, uh, you know, uh, uh, our complicity in certain kinds of, of, of oppression of um, other people. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. It's always a bit of a double movement, I think. It's like important to, to interrogate, you know, um, uh, the way that we define ourselves relative to the world in order to uh, ultimately um, help us best understand how, you know, uh, how to commit ourselves to um, improving the lives of others, I think, and to creating a, 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 a more equal um, livability of life for other people. Yeah, yeah, livability and sustainability of life and, you know, the environment. <laughs> That's something that I put that aside. <laughs> That's like <a laughs> the ticking bomb. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I think that that's, you know, I mean, I, I feel that, um, that's that's really the answer that you know we gotta kind of like see what's happening in the streets and what's needed and and participate in that, um, and and at the same time we can always you you know think of of languages like activism you know of our use of language as as, a, as an activist practice which is something we can just do on our own every day we don't need to um, you know basically uh, you know organize or, or you know, uh, create movements <laughs> who can just practice it in some conscious way. Um, so what are you each working on or do you know what uh, your thesis or uh, dissertations topics are? Sure, yeah. So, um, <laughs> I like, uh, I'm only in my second year, so I'm still developing my work. But uh, the project that I'm working on right now, I, I like to say like broadly my interests are in uh, the three B's of bodies, borders, and babies. Huh. Um, so I'm, yeah, just, that's a little uh, catchy. Uh, but I am interested in the way that national, uh, that nationalism in the United States and national boundaries are invested in migrant women's reproduction and controlling the um, reproduction of migrant women at the border. Um, mm. So I uh, completed my master's uh, last summer and I was working on um, looking at the development of um, migrant uh, migrant reproductive control uh, from uh, forced sterilization practices in the 1970s to in 2017, there was a case in which a uh, undocumented migrant teenager was refused an abortion in um, detention. Uh, not detention, excuse me, in, in a uh, refugee um, living situation because she was a minor. Um, so I'm really interested in the ways that uh, uh, nationalism and national identity in, the, identity in the United States is invested in uh, maintaining a population um, that is grounded in like settler colonial Christian ideals of family and purity um, and how that is interacted in variously, often contradictory ways on um, different uh, types of bodies uh, 
bodies of migrants as they um, attempt to uh, migrate to the United States. So I see my work um, very broadly as connected to uh, the project of um, abolition feminism because I do believe in abolishing borders. Um, and I see like pr uh, prisons and borders as very uh, synonymous types of um, like carceral systems in the US. Um, and yeah, that, that's my current project. Yeah, uh, you know, I think I just want to add one thing to that, you know, which um, I, I have been, I've, I've thought about this a long time and it's, um, it's a bigger topic and, uh, we're, we, you know, I just want to kind of like insert it here parenthetically, but, you know, I, I came to America to kind of like run away from the extreme oppression, right, that I experienced in the old world. I was 15. I didn't know anyone. I came 100% for freedom. <laughs> and I think that I'm pretty typical that way, right? That it was, that's all, that, that, you know, um, most of those who, you know, migrate to America and, and have, um, have, have been the outliers, you know, the, the, the misfits, the, the rejects of the normative society. So, and since, you know, America is like such a young country, I have, I have always felt that it would, it will inevitably like come to its senses, right? And not, and not, no longer, you know, try to like copy the, the modality of the, all the nations, you know, uh, that we all have run away from, right? That they oppressed us. That's why we came all the way out here, you know, where we're like no one spoke our language. We didn't know anyone, you know. It's, um, but you know, somehow, like America keeps keeps forgetting that and wanting to fit in and wanting to be understood, you know, in that um, very uh, limiting way. And as a result, you know, we have everything that, you know, we, we, we abhor about it, you know, whether it's imperialism or, you know, all, all of these, uh, you know, wars uh, or, uh, you know, the, in the, <laughs> the military industrial complex controlling so much, you know, slavery, of course, that whole history and so on and so um, But the Department of Homeland Security, which is why what I wanted to, to add, so parenthetically add, is so recent, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking about that uh, when it was created, I think by Bush, right? And I and I felt no, no, you know, like um, let's not go into that homeland narrative, you know, like I was raised on the homeland, uh, you know, as a Greek, you know, it was like we have to die for the homeland, you know, the fatherland, you know, I, I was born in a junta, um, my dad worked for the, for the junta, so like you can imagine <laughs> how much of that, like the homeland first nationalistic spirit, you know, I was raised in, and I was happy to come here where everybody was different, and re and everybody, you know, especially in Miami, um, but you know, wherever I've lived in America, it's been very cosmopolitan. So you know, we, I haven't been in in societies where like we think of America as homeland, right? Um, so just even coining the term, I, I feel, you know, uh, inevitably leads, you know, our, our government um, to, again, you know, engage in those nationalistic practices, you know, um, of homogenizing um, and, and, you know, and limiting, you know, controlling the borders and limiting migration, which are against the foundation of, of this, you know, young country. Um, of this young like group of us, <laughs> um, 
so yeah, I, I feel that um, you know, I was it was misnamed and misconceived, uh, and look how it's been used since since it's uh, since it was uh, you know created. It, it, you know, it uh, hardly anymore uh, attack is interested in in terror anti-terrorism. So yeah. you know, whether it's like in Portland or in the you know border, it, it has you know. Uh, um, you know, exceeded its um, the, its reason for 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 being, and has become just like a, a controlling fascistic um, army. You know, attacking uh, the citizens and, and those who sh would be citizens uh, under, like you know, American under <laughs> under like the American ideals. <laughs> <laughs> of citizenship, right? So, yeah. yeah. Hopefully, yeah. it won't That's last right. long, that that Department of uh, Homeland Security. Yeah, I mean, I think everything you're saying is is absolutely correct. Um, and I I think really what, what was one of the big parts of my project is, is tracing the historic uh, investment of things like the Department of Homeland Security and and more generally, this like idea of of the United States is like this exactly like you were saying, like imperial power in in, in the world. Uh, that the, the way that these things have been invested um, in certain kinds of bodies and controlling uh, the reproduction of certain kinds of bodies and certain kinds of families. Um, and uh, Eva, I think you would be very interested in a book that I that came out I think last year called Homeland Maternity. Oh yeah, <laughs> by totally. Natalie Fixmer Ruiz. Yeah, it's a very um, it's exactly what, what we're talking about. So, yeah. Okay. yeah. Jesse. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm also really interested in this question of, um, of the relationship between, uh, um, American imperial and, and historically like, you know, uh, British imperial relationships to, um, to, uh, the misfits, as you say, like kind of especially in terms of like uh, people who um, uh, come into conflict with normal ways of living uh, their gendered lives or their sexual lives um, and uh, the, the kind of different kinds of stakes that happen. So on the one hand, like the U.S. is such a safe place for, um, you know, queer people and for trans people. At the same time, it's like extremely homophobic and extremely transphobic. Um, and it has this kind of like, but, um, you know, this kind of like kind of weird tension that then it takes other places in these kinds of imperial projects. So you get like George Bush or like American conservatives uh, defending uh, like the, um, the war in Iraq uh, as a sort of liberation movement, like this is like a good thing for right, right. democracy <laughs> and like bring like sexual freedom to people who can then like finally live in like the feminist democratic utopia that the, only the U.S. can provide, um, while simultaneously doing you know like nothing for gay people internally or whatever. It's like this weird like double thing where you just end up with um, like you know the the imperial power like patting itself on the back for its tolerance while like basically persecuting like uh deviant groups inside and abroad <laughs> um so i kind of my my own work deals with this in the in the, the his, in a kind of uh historical recovery of trans people uh in the 19th century mostly um and uh looking at the way in which 
Um, because I guess on the one hand, we tend to think of trans life as very contemporary, very recent thing. Like, uh, it's very new, maybe like since the nineties that, that like trans people have been figuring in culture and we like are aware of this existence. But so part of my work is to contribute to scholarship that's, you know, trying to look back uh, over like a longer history and point to the ways in which, um, not only has, uh, have trans people existed in, uh, in, Britain or in the U.S. or in um, in Western, quote unquote, kind of like the global north for ages, but that um, that the notion of just like man and woman as two stable categories for human uh, has uh, is itself like a very uh, colonial construct, um, and that it was something that was imposed at home and abroad in this kind of uh, way. So yeah, my own work is is looking at the long history of of uh, trans people, um, and the relationship to, uh, empire, but, uh, also to biology. And that's kind of really the interest for me is like how, how to, how does, if we understand trans people to have been around for so long, like what does this do to our ideas about, um, uh, evolutionary theory and biology and the kinds of explanations that we tend to give about what a man and a woman are, you know, if we understand these to be kind of, uh, localized ideas that don't exist across all time and space and all, you know, different kinds of species, then what does, uh, what does it mean to challenge that kind of binary view, um, uh, at the biological level, even, I guess. Um, yeah, <laughs> but mostly yeah. I just read novels. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, th I think that, you know, I mean, I agree completely. We definitely have, you know, at least in uh, in my uh, Greek, you know, culture, ancient ancient history has numerous examples of like uh, yes. trans people of you know uh, different kind of like different stages of transition. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in every, you know, from, from every sta stage of transitioning, really, you know, and the same goes with like all of the ancient cultures. I mean, I know that in India, you know, the, the tradition, tradition of the hijras is, you know, mm -hmm. very ancient. Um, so, yeah, it feels that it has been, you know, the, you know, the more that the, the categories, you know, are kind of like defined, the more easily people are controlled and oppressed. Um, so it's in, no one's except, you know, for like uh, the extreme minority in charge, it's in no one else's interest to kind of like, you know, continue to like put ourselves in separate categories. And that's one of the messages, um, you know, that would be great if we could like, you know, share with everyone. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, I, f I feel that, um, you know, every, you know, as, as important as it is um, to understand these issues um, and 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 where you know whom you know whom they serve, uh, uh, whom our oppression serves, um, you know, it's equally important to find ways to kind of you know reunite. You know, so. Um, what what you mentioned in the beginning, uh, Chloe, you know, with feminism being so fractured these days, you know, I, I think is one of the challenges, you know, going forward. So for me, I would love to, to see us, you know, um, become kind of like more accepting um, of, a, of all of us and, you know, and re, reuniting in, in some inclusive way. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think um that's why we're seeing such an emphasis on like like theories of intersectionality and other terms similar to that, because people I think that there have but I think post post <laughs> failure of Hillary Clinton presidency bid, uh there have been like a lot of resurgences of old fractures of feminism. But I think the one that I find to be the most pro- uh progressive and the most appealing and the one that I believe in the most is uh a a a celebration and emphasis on difference and on um, different needs and recognizing um, uh, recognizing uh, difference as a way to abstract from individual uh, individual uh, politics of being a good or bad person and about um, reframing a feminist agenda, not just whether like one individual is like a good or a bad feminist or whether there's like a way to live your life that is like a good or bad like feminist approach and being like, what are the issues that are affecting women and how can I invest in, um, what are the issues that are affecting the women that are the most vulnerable in the United States right now? And how can I align myself with those movements and how can I listen to the people who are advocating for those issues and believe them when they tell me that these are the issues that are affecting them and let them speak, um, for themselves. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. 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 Something else is amazing. I forgot. Did I make you think of anything? Do you want to say anything else, <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I, I love all of this. I think it's right. I think that um, that a lot of the um, homogenizing ideas about what feminism is have been really like challenged, and that as you say, like you know, there's this kind of big fracturing. It heals like in a lot of ways, but I hope that we can understand this as an opportunity to uh, to keep differences uh involved and and to keep uh a plurality of voices and let everyone yeah. <laughs> kind of be speaking rather than yes. um yes. trying to assume that there's one one right. uh voice that's that should speak on behalf of of all people or, right yeah. yeah exactly yeah yeah so <laughs> long as it you know it, I, I i agree you know the, the 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 challenge is to just not think of each other as the other you know but um you know, kind of like incorporate everything in the feeling of like we and and you know, it's a challenge, but <laughs> that's that's why we're doing this. So thank you for coming. Thank you for spending your hour with me and with our listeners. Um, I, I enjoyed it very much. And uh, to everyone out there, until next week. Thank you for listening and keep speaking sex. So we're excited to announce our partnership with oldplayground.net. It's the site to go to if you're in any way curious about what to do next in your sex life. If I could make love incessantly, I would be God. <laughs>